1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
0: Discipline is important, but if it's not tempered with mercy and grace... You'll lose the child.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. Hi, and welcome. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. If you missed the show last time, we started looking at the role of a father using the example of King David. Pastor Jeff shows us through the stories of David in 2 Samuel 13, where David has turned his face from God and his family relationships are suffering as a result. So let's rejoin Pastor Jeff now for the remainder of this message on today with Jeff Vines.
0: Now that brings me to the second icon, which is this, a bedside table. I cannot tell you what it did for me to see my dad get down on his knees before he went to bed at night and read the Bible and pray. It was like, it just melted my heart. It made me want to follow dad because I knew dad was following God. It made my mother want to love my father and follow my father because she knew that my father loved and followed God. And my dad knew that raising children was so difficult that you couldn't do it on your own. Look, look most of us know this. I, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show this past week. How many of you listen to that? 7, 10 a.m. Good show. And they're talking about who has the hardest job, the, the Dodger coach or the angel coach. We won't go there right now. It's a tough job. But somebody in the studio said, no, it's not the Dodger job or the angel job. The toughest job in America is that of fatherhood. I thought, wow, Somebody's ha- somebody has children, I play a lot of golf with my father-in-law. He spoke here not too long ago. We have a great relationship. He has this uncanny ability to say one thing. And in saying that one thing, that one little sentence just opens up the world to what's really going on. Now, folks, I've played a lot of basketball in my life and never, I, I can never remember losing my temper. But if you pick up the game of golf, it's only a matter of time. I don't care who you are, pastor, whoever, you're going to lose your temper. And I remember hitting a bad shot, and I threw my, my golf club, and I slammed it down in my bag, and my father-in-law, in his gentle way, said to me, and th- tell me this is not a great line. He said to me, Jeff, you're not good enough to get mad over a shot like that. <laughs> not a great line. That's my father-in-law saying, son, son, you're, you, you are severely overestimating your golfing ability. That's exactly what we do as dads. It's a tough job, man. There's a lot at stake. The life and death, the abundant living of your child. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm too flawed, man, to do this on my own. And without God, if guys, if you're not right with God, you can't be right with your family. If you're not allowing God to bring you toward personal righteousness, there can be no possible way that you're going to be able to promote and catalyze corporate righteousness. David said very clearly, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. And I've always said that personal righteousness leads to corporate righteousness. I'm only as good with my wife as I am with God. I'm only as good with my children as I am with God. If I'm good with God, if I seek his face, I find his face, I understand the boundaries. I know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness and I can lead my family well. You're not good with God. There's no way you're going to be good with your kids. And Abraham Lincoln, one of my favorite quotes, in order to train up a child in the way he should go, a man must first go there himself. Isn't that true? David's not following God because he's not following God. His family's not following him. The line between righteousness and unrighteousness becomes blurred and then he loses courage. Third icon, here we go. And uh, I wanted this icon to be a woodshed (laughs) because if you've been at CCB long enough, you know what that means. It's about setting boundaries. Now stay with me because this is probably the most important part here and I don't want to be misunderstood. My dad had rules when we were growing up. No doubt in my mind that my dad loved us. He loved it. And I lost my dad a couple years ago. Man, he was a great dad. He wasn't perfect, man. He was flawed like everybody else, but he had a rule. And his rule was, son, once you take a bath and put your pajamas on, you don't go back outside. As long as you have that rule, come on. Once you take a bath and put your pajamas on, you can't go back outside. In the summertime, that was difficult. Because JoJo Duggar and my buddies down the block, they'd come to the house and throw a little, little gravel at my window, and I'd look outside, and they'd say, fine, there's an hour of light left. It's summer, you know, let's go play wiffle ball in the park. That was a temptation too difficult to resist. And one night he did this, and I'd already had my bath and I was in my pajamas, but I had overheard my mother tell a friend that my dad was not gonna be home that night. He was out of town. So I went to play wiffle ball in my pajamas. By the way, you can really run fast barefoot. That's another thing. Uh, I played wiffle ball. I'm coming back home. As I'm coming back home, right just a few minutes after dark, my dad pulls in the driveway. It's like the lights shine right on me. And I think, oh my goodness, this... I'm in so much trouble. I was so scared. I ran in uh, to to my father. and I I remember saying, Dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, I'm so sorry. I won't do, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. You know what my dad said? Oh, you're right. (laughs) He, He said, I believe you, son. You won't ever do this again. Now, what's interesting there is this was the one time I remember my dad did not punish me. He knew that I got the message without. And I was shocked. And I wanna tell you, never again did I go outside after I had a bath in my pocket. Today, when I have a bath and put my (laughs) bed I don't go outside. My father, listen, my father was a military man of sorts, you know, stars and stripes. He gave me stripes and I saw stars. And he believed, listen, this is important. My dad believed it's important to draw parameters in the life of your child. And you draw them the same reason God draws parameters in our lives, because he knows we'll live the abundant life by staying within them. But my dad thought it was equally important that if you step outside of those parameters, that is it's important not to frustrate your child. That if you tell your child, if you do this, this is the ramifications, that you are consistent and you deliver the goods. If you don't, he believed that two things would happen. Number one, your children will never trust you. And second, they'll never respect you. It's interesting that the Bible says when Paul gives advice on raising children in Ephesians chapter four and Ephesians chapter six, he says, don't exasperate your children. It's a word that means frustrate. Don't frustrate your children. Then he says, here's how you frustrate your child. You teach them the way to go. You tell them if they violate it, there's punishment. And then you never carry through with the punishment. That frustrates the kid because he doesn't really know what's right and wrong. He's frustrated on how far he can take you, what he can get away with. And he loses respect. And there's not a child in the world that doesn't wanna know clearly where the boundaries are. So when you see a mother that says, Danny don't, Danny don't, Danny don't. I thought I told you, Danny don't. And Danny keeps doing. And there's never any ramifications. You think you're helping the child. You're teaching the child there's no boundary, there's no consequence. And it's all fun and games when the child is lying at seven. It might even be funny But when they're lying at 18 and 19 and they're cheating, it's not funny anymore. The problem is most of us look at Jesus in our culture. And before I read, let's read a quote, problems are like weeds, the best fertilizer, apathy and neglect. That's what my father really believed. If you don't pay attention to a problem, it grows. It doesn't go away. But the problem with most of us when it comes to discipline, we see Jesus like this. This is how the younger generation sees Jesus. Come on now. Jesus is our buddy. I really detest this. And it's because, yes, Jesus is my buddy. He is. He's my friend. He'll always be with me through thick and thin. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. But there's a line between Jesus and me. He gets to make the rules, not me. And he expects them to be respected. Why? Because he hates me? No, because he loves me. And he says, Jeff, I made the world. I know how it's best lived in. Obey me and the abundant life will be yours. We're to look at our children the same way that we're to look at God. Yeah, he's my best friend, but he's trying to protect me. And you can be the best friend of your child, but there comes a line when you're no longer friend, but you're the authority that God has placed in that child's life to guide, direct, to nourish, to discipline, to correct. I'm not talking about smacking your kids now. I'm not talking about taking them out of the woodshed and hitting them with a shovel. There's other ways to discipline the child. The important thing is that they know where the boundaries are. Look, guys, I just read another article, interesting article, did some research this week. Do you know the kind of kids that wanna return home after they get older? I mean, as a a mom and dad, don't you want your kids that wanna be there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and just share time as you... You know the kind of kids that come back? The article says, the kind of kids who come home, and I quote, are the kids that respected their parents when they were growing up. And respect is tied to two things, clarity of direction and expectation and consistency in the consequences. You thought your kid would come home if you were the kid's buddy. Your kid doesn't need a buddy. Your kid needs somebody that will guide them and lead them and direct them and be consistent in drawing the boundaries. That kind of kid will love you, respect you, and will want to return home. Now quickly, unfortunately, David doesn't have the respect of his children. He's not courageous. He's not brave and no boundaries are drawn. And when they violate the boundaries, he does nothing. And then in verse 28 The Bible says that Absalom devises a plan and he orders his men to get Amnon high in spirits from drinking wine. And then at the point that he says, strike Amnon down, Absalom says, I want you to kill him. Absalom is angry. Why is he angry? Because dad's a gutless wonder. Dad has no intestinal fortitude. Doesn't draw the boundaries. Doesn't bring the ramifications when they're crossed. He's not investing and probing in the lives of children. Oh, he hurts and cries when things go wrong, but he never does anything. And you know what the result is? Are your children, they just get more angry and more angry and more frustrated. If I can take a quick time out and then I'll finish the story. If your child is angry and you're seeing your child move into anger, be careful. There's a reason your teenager is getting angry. And it's so deep seated, you've got to dig and probe in there and find out why. People who write about child rearing say that there are three types of fathers who really bring a lot of anger into the life of the child. The one is the father who's disconnected, who appears to be apathetic, who never comes around, who never investigates, who never probes in the life of the child. He may live at home, but he's disconnected. What happens, the child believes and then translates that as my dad does not care. And that brings anger and frustration, anger and frustration. So they lash out at their father, at their parents, at their siblings and everybody else. The second kind of father is the father whose expectations are too high. There's a father who expects their son to be the next president, the next Michael Jordan, the next Magic Johnson, the next Kobe Bryant, heaven forbid. And that's what they expect. And the child knows there's no way he can live up to that. So there's this exasperation, there's this frustration. They can never be, they can never measure up and they lash out at their siblings, at their parents, at everybody else. And then the third kind of father, according to the articles, he's the worst one. He's like the Tasmanian devil. Do you remember the Tasmanian devil? one of my favorite cartoons. He was infamous for doing this, whizzing in, wreaking havoc and whizzing back out again. And that's the way some fathers are. They don't get involved until it's too late. Then they whizz in, leave carnage everywhere and whizz out again. And that brings frustration and anger in the life of the child. And they lash out in anger. I have counseled for 27 years And I have met children who something happened to them drastic in their lives, but there was no form to share it with their fathers. And what happens is they end up committing suicide. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in the room and you had a child that committed suicide, that it's your fault and that's why it happened. No, I'm just simply saying when anger comes in the life of a child, you better find out what's going on. Probe and probe and probe till you discover because it never ends well. Now, here's what happens in the rest of the story. And I'm gonna cut it short. Guess what happens when David hears that Absalom has killed Amnon? Oh yeah, he tears his clothes. Matter of fact, he gets all his friends around to tear their clothes too. It's in verse 31 of chapter 13. But he does nothing. He weeps and he mourns, but he does nothing. So Absalom flees the city. He's in exile now for three years. Do you think David makes any kind of effort to reach him? No, does nothing. Finally, Joab, the commander in chief comes to David and says, David, dude, come on, man. Your son Absalom is the heir to the throne. He's the next king. You got to reach out to him. Tell him he can come back and live in the city of Jerusalem and no harm will come. So David says, okay, fine, Joab, you go get him. So Joab goes and brings him back to the city of Jerusalem. On the way back, Absalom is probably thinking something like, man, I wonder what my dad's going to do. You know, it's been three long years. Is he going to treat me harshly? Is he going to treat me Kindly? Is he finally going to listen to me and my frustrations and why I'm so angry with him? Will he just give me five minutes of his time? Will he hear my heart? And can we restore our relationship? Well, guess what David does. in the one chance that he has to bring everything to restoration, he doesn't even go out on the street to meet Jerusalem, sorry, to meet Absalom coming to Jerusalem. He sends Joab out and he says, Joab, give my son Absalom a message. Tell him he can come and live in Jerusalem, but he can't see my face. <laughs> Discipline is important. But if it's not tempered with mercy and grace, you'll lose the child. It was time for mercy now. You know, guys, I did something when I was 16 years old. It was the ultimate violation. It was a lot far more serious than pajamas after dark. Let me tell you. I did something when I was 16. It was my dad's kind of unspoken, unwritten rule, but we all knew it, that if you do something like this, I really thought when I had committed this, that my dad was gonna ask me to live somewhere else. That's how terrified I was. I came home that night, and man, I couldn't sleep. My dad was so in tune with us, he knew there was something wrong. The next morning at the breakfast table, he said, Jeff, after breakfast, I wanna talk to you. I thought, oh man, somebody told him. I'm done for, I mean, that's it, I'm I'm dead. He sat me on the couch and put his arm around me. He moved in real close, and he said, Jeff, what what have you done? I couldn't hold it in, man. I had to tell him, and I told him the whole story. And then I, I just waited for the hammer to fall down for... Uh, uh, an eternal bed behind the woodshed. He put his arm around me and he said, son, you made a big mistake. Big mistake. But here's what's important now. You've got to make restitution for what you've done. You've got to own up to what you've done. And you've got to make things right. And you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to be right here with you and we're going to do this together. It took about five or six months to rectify the situation. My dad was with me every step of the way. And I've never forgotten that because my dad knew the difference between discipline and grace and how they can be intertwined, how you can discipline the child, but there's a time for discipline. There's a time for mercy. David could not distinguish between those two things. And you know why? Only when you're tight with God, do you understand the power of his grace and are you given the ability to extend it to others. Dad knew God. Dad knew grace. Dad knew mercy. David doesn't. Let me cut the story short and make the final application. Absalom is a good-looking young man. If you're reading the Bible, you'll find out that there was no blemish on him from head to toe, the Bible says. He was like his father, charismatic, energetic, and he stole the hearts of the people. The Bible says he was so angry with his father that he decided he's going to take his kingdom from him, and he did. He did. David now is the one in exile. Now, David's heart is broken because his son took his kingdom. Do you think David did anything? No. Oh, he tears his clothes again. I mean, he's running out of clothes here. Rip, I'm sad. Oh, I'm emotionally in pain, but he does nothing. Nothing. And finally, one day, after Absalom does something really, really bad on the roof of the house, on the roof of the palace, David says, it's time to go back home. And he gets his men, let's go back and take what rightfully belongs to me. But he says, don't hurt the young man. What's interesting in those three chapters, you find where David is never called dad, he's just called the king, and where Absalom's never called the son, he's just called the young boy. They're so far from each other, they don't even need each other's names or their titles of father and son. Now, Joab is so frustrated with Absalom what he's done. And here's how the story ends. True story now. I can't make this stuff up. Absalom is riding and he meets David's men of war. So that's going to come to a climactic point here. Absalom has beautiful long hair. And he's riding his mule and he goes under an oak tree and there's some low hanging branches and Absalom's hair gets caught in the tree. And he's got so much of it when he tries to get out, it just makes it worse. But the mule kept going. So Absalom's just hanging there in the middle of the air by his hair. He got stuck in the tree. You can't make this stuff up. And uh, somewhere, somehow, there's a father saying, I told you you should have cut your hair, boy. And so <laughs> the hair's in the tree. Joab comes along and sees him, and he disregards the word David sent to not harm the boy. And Joab's armor bearers take their swords and run him through and kill him and then throw him onto the ground and cover him with stones and dirt. When David finds out what happens, that's when he goes up to the top of the room having made no effort whatsoever with Absalom. And he says, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died. Absalom, my son, my son. Here's the final icon. I want you to have a look at it. It's on your card. Don't you find it almost ironic that David says, my son, my son, if only I had died? Because the reality is, had David died to himself... Had David along the line died to his kingdom, died to his passions, died to his dreams and hopes just a little bit in order to meet the needs of his son Absalom, Absalom would have lived. Not only that, Absalom is so talented and so gifted that if David would have poured his life into Absalom, we perhaps could have had the greatest king in the nation of Israel of all time. Instead, his life is cut short. There is a Chinese story where a young boy goes in, he's hungry, and he buys some food in the market, and as he's buying food in the market, he sees a bird cage with a little bird inside, and he goes over and thinks this will make a great pet, so he purchases the bird in the bird cage. As he's walking away, the old Chinese, the old man said, "Bring the cage back when you're done." And the little boy thinks, "What does he think he thinks I'm going to eat the bird? I'm not going to eat the bird." And the old man explains to him, no, I know you're not going to eat the bird. And he takes him to the outskirts of the city and he shows him what to do. You're supposed to buy this bird in the cage and then you're supposed to release the bird because every person should know what it feels like to be a dream releaser. And the little boy opens the cage and the little bird hippity hops to the front, hippity hops a little more. And then he flies out and he buzzes the head of the boy a few times as if to say, thank you for letting me go. And that's what fathers are. Dream Releasers. God created something special in that little boy, little girl. They are the workmanship of God. Long before a Ferrari or a Lamborghini makes it to the show floor, it's been drawn up in plans. The Bible says your child, there are plans that have been drawn. And your job as a father is to release the dream in the life of your child so that he can shine like the stars in the sky. And you do that by probing into the life of the child and bearing his burdens around the dinner table. You do that by being right with God so that you can be right with your family. You do that by drawing the disciplinary boundaries and being consistent so your children love you and respect you and know the way of righteousness. You're a dream releaser. And if you do that, had David done that, man, we would read a different story about Absalom. And if you do that with your children, they will shine like the stars in the sky. Oh man, that's the kind of dad I so want to be. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I I thank you for reminding us through this powerful, powerful narrative that love is not enough. Love must be followed by action that direction indeed, not intention, determines destination. And I pray for us fathers in this room right now. I pray for the fathers who somehow believe it's too late. Maybe they've had their chance at fatherhood and they just it's dawned on them how they've blown it in their lives. I pray, Father God, that you would remind them that it's never too late to go to their son, go to their daughter and say, I know I failed you as a father. I could have done a lot of things better, but I want you to know I love you that I'm proud of you, and that you're good at what you do, that I love you, that I'm proud of you, and you're good at what you do. And I would hope and pray that you and I could become closer as the years go by. Help us as fathers who have young, young children to start these practices now to raise a family, a young boy, a young girl, who would shine like the stars in the sky. And I pray for the single moms who hear this message and they say, wait a minute, what chance do I have? To remind them they have a great chance. They can be that person in the life of the child. To probe and to pray and to draw those boundaries. And I pray that every child of would shine like the stars in the sky. That it would be their time to shine. In Jesus' name.
1: Well, parenthood can be tough, but when we look towards God as the example and as the Father that He really is, we can have awesome relationships with our families. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited to bring you another message in this series next time.
0: Folks, I believe that there's a remedy. The underlying theme of the Nazarite vow was this, how bad do you want to change? How far would you go to get God involved and to bring something special, miraculous, extravagant?
1: Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines.